Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of What Pad Reads. I'm Roxanne, here to bring you your daily dose of amazing books to get you through the week. And this week, we're going to be reviewing the book Howls and Hexes. It's by the author Abasa, spelled I-B-A-S-S-A. I'm sorry if I pronounced it wrong. Um, And it has 998 reads, wow, 290 votes, and 10 parts. And let me tell you, those reads don't do this book justice. But let let me save that for the review part of this. Let me read the summary. Amara and her family leave Louisiana after a massacre killed her father. Her pack, Theoniji, has been hunted by the White Claw since their forced arrival in the 1700s. The Oniji, a small pack from West Africa, is the only one in the world that harnesses the power of witchcraft. Now in the small town of Mohegan, Amara and her family seek refuge in hopes of escaping their persecution. Hurit, the alpha of the Apisi, grapples with a new drug outbreak within his pack. The drug, ice, is a hallucinogen that makes users unable to control when they shift. He must now find a way to control the outbreak before the damages are beyond repair. However, when Amara opens a bakery across the street from Hurit's office, she slowly falls for the charming Alpha. It is easy to see that their affection expands past trivial love at first sight. But with all that is at stake, is following her heart worth the risk? And that was the summary. And I'm just going to read a bit of the hashtags here. Um, alpha, baking, black girl, black people, BWWM, which is black woman, white man, diversity, fantasy, featured, historical fiction, interracial, love, magic, mate, native, Native American, nature, omega, romance. So it's so werewolf slash fiction slash... Um, yeah, that's the genre of the book, or a, a romance fiction, werewolf romance fiction. I'm just going to call it that. I'm sorry. It's not what the author has it as, but that is the summary. So now I'm going to read chapter one, and I cannot wait to get into this book with you guys. And I'm reading the prologue before I get into chapter one because it won't make, wouldn't make sense unless I read the prologue because it they both tie in together. So here is the prologue. Deep within the Louisiana bayou sat a degraded cabin. The cabin's walls and roof were covered in holes and the windows were boarded up with plywood. The structure groaned to the force of the night's winds and welcomed crawling creatures inside the cracks of the floorboards. To the naked eye, the cabin sat empty and unused for multiple years. However, if you were to look closely and listen hard, muffled whispers escaped from the holes in the walls. Inside the cabin, 10 people crouched around a single lit candle. The candle light warmly lit their black skin, contrasting against the terror in their eyes. Anxiety filled the air as the patrons of the gathering looked over their shoulders in fear of being caught. We can't keep hiding anymore, Kofi, a dark-skinned man still in his mechanics uniform said. I'm tired of moving my family every time one of us is killed. We have to fight. With what army? We barely have half of our pack after what they did to us in South Carolina. Petunia, an older black woman, piped. 
She wiped the sweat off of her face with a handkerchief before turning to glare at Kofi. We all want to fight, but surviving is the most important thing right now. If we can't even survive, what is the point of fighting? To create a better world for our children, Kofi exclaimed before the other members hushed him frantically in fear they would be heard. I am willing to sacrifice all that I have so that my family and my baby girl can, have, can live a better life than mine. A bony, light-skinned boy, Bernard, turned to Kofi. But what if we lose? A fire filled Kofi's eyes. But what if we win? A thick silence fell over the cabin as the members tried to forget all the trauma and pain they endured to bring them to this meeting. Each person grappled with memories of loved ones being ripped away and the destruction it caused to the psyche. Resentment grew in their bellies as they were reminded of the constantly to look over their shoulder, the necessity to triple check the towns they visit, and most importantly, to lock all the doors in their house before heading to bed. These rituals, although seemingly minuscule, could mean the difference between life and death in their pack. A group of howls and the thundering of paws broke the silence. They found a before Petunia could run out the back door, a white wolf entrapped its jaws around her neck. The other members of the room scurried away from her body, trying not to touch the blood that erupted from her corpse. Corpse. The beast looked around the room and smirked with Petunia's blood dripping down its snout. The front door to the cabin swung open as a man in an all-white suit entered. His pale blonde hair complemented the coolness of his eyes as he strode into the room. He lazily surveyed the cabin until he landed on the now-shifted pack of black wolves. You really thought you could plan a meeting in my woods without me knowing about it? He chuckled softly. For F's sake, I could smell your African musk from a mile away. Not only were you meeting in my woods, but you were also planning to attack us? He strode over to the white wolf standing over the dead body. I have to give it to you guys. You have a lot of balls to pull this off. I'm almost disappointed I did not see the sorry war that you would have put together. His blue eyes slowly turned pitch black as he looked at the group of black wolves. Almost. At that moment, the man ripped through his clothes and shifted into a silvery white wolf. He lunged at the largest black wolf in the room, signaling the start of the bloodbath. The once brown walls were now covered in the blood of the fallen warriors. The black pack held their ground. However, they, were, they quickly realized they were outnumbered. Sadden howls filled the air as the once strong 10 wolves dwindled by the second. By the end of the hour, only one small black wolf remained. Fear spread through his body as he frantically looked at the white wolves surrounding him. The lone wolf slowly morphed back to its human form and revealed a cowering Bernard. Please. His voice cracked as a sob traveled through his body. Please, just let me go. My pack will leave. The silver wolf in front of him morphed back into the man that was once in a white suit. He stood naked, towering over Bernard's shaking body. He slowly crouched down until his blue eyes met Bernard's black ones. Tell your pathetic pack to leave my land, or else I, Alpha James, will have to finish what I started here. Chapter one. Last one, I said, unpacking the final box of the kitchen supplies. 
It's been three weeks since the massacre in Louisiana, and I was still in shock. I became so used to moving from city to city that I almost forgot how abnormal my life was. There were so many things in my life that were normal that living in secrecy only became a footnote in my daily routine. Like any other confused 22-year-old, I live with my parents. I was fortunate enough to have two parents that loved each other dearly. I loved walking into the kitchen and hearing my mother sing while my dad created his famous gumbo. I loved it when I came home from school and found my parents reading together on the couch, both of their glasses slowly falling off their faces. These memories, though beautiful, were rare in my pack. Stories of families torn apart at the hands of the White Claw Pack was an all too common tale in the Oniji. Elders would tell children horror stories of mothers dragged away from their families after a child revealed the Oniji's true identity. Growing up, I always knew something tragic could happen to my family, but I never thought it would. It was not until I got the call three weeks ago that changed my life forever. My mom and I were baking cookies like any other Sunday night. My, grandfather, my grandmother was on the couch watching her favorite crime show, crocheting a blanket for a pack member's baby shower. I distinctly remembered how calm and warm the house was before the ringing shattered our reality. My mother answered the phone first, but I knew something was wrong from the glazing of her eyes. Her eyes that, were, that are usually filled with light were now clouded with sadness and an unsettling amount of emptiness. Without saying a word, she handed me the phone. Amara, I'm so sorry to tell you this, but Kofi died. Alpha Omar whispered into the phone. A pit filled my stomach. What do you mean, Kofi died? No, no, it has to be a mistake. My dad is alive. I just saw him leave for a training meeting. He said he would be home before midnight. Amara, I am so sorry. I have to tell you this way, but you know the protocol. He sighed heavily. We are, we, we are relocating again. Please pack your belongings and be prepared to leave by sunrise. I'm so sorry. After that call, a heaviness settled inside of my body that never left. Even after we moved out, relocated to Montana and bought a new house, I still would look for my father in empty spaces. During the road trip, I stared at the passenger seat where he would sit and point out all the major tourist attractions. I stared at the vacant recliner where he would drink his morning coffee and read the daily news. I stared at the knickknacks he collected from every city, city we traveled to. I felt the lack of his presence everywhere I looked and the hole that appeared in my family only grew with time. I finished putting away the dishes and started walking toward the front porch, but before I could reach the door, powerful waves of magic slipped out of the living room. My grandma sat in front of the altar, whispering into a stone bowl. Suddenly, her eyes rolled to the back of her head as whispers turned into shouts. The gold bangles on her wrists quake as the spell overtook her body. The veins in her neck pulsated as she shouted the names of our ancestors. The power of the spell released pungent odors of sage and rosemary. However, the fit ended as quickly as it came, and before I could reach her, the spell had run its course. Her slightly disheveled fro and ruffled dress were the only evidence of what had occurred. She slowly turned her head and whispered, I caught it. I think I perfected the spell. 
A slow grin crept, crept its way up her cheeks as she walked towards me. What is it? I asked skeptically, looking into the contents of the bowl. It wouldn't be the first time she tricked me into eating something disgusting. The last time I didn't ask, I drank bear blood and frog semen. It's a potion that goes that's going to keep us safe. For the first time in weeks, a glimmer of hope shone in her eyes. At that moment, I knew I couldn't resist whatever vile concoction she made. I plugged my nose and swallowed the purple liquid. A shiver ran down my spine as the elixir entered my system. My grandmother and I stared at each other for a few moments, waiting for something to happen. What am I supposed to feel? I asked. I don't know. This is my first time doing this potion. Do you feel anything different? I felt around my stomach and looked inside of my jeans. No, I'm still a black woman. She smacked me with a wooden spoon. Stop fooling around. You don't feel anything different? Nope, nothing at all. Her face dropped and she snatched the bowl from my hand. She walked back over to the altar, grumbling the entire way. I laughed to myself when I heard her curse at a few ancestors for not giving her the right spell. As much as I loved to watch my grandmother cast enchantments, I needed to go to the bakery. I grabbed my purse and ran out of the house. However, before I could open the car door, I was distracted by the sharp snipping of garden shears. The source of the sound came from no other than my mother. She was crouching in front of the house, aggressively planting hyssopus flowers. Her usually flowing dark curls were pulled into a tight low bun at the nape of her neck. The dirt on her baby blue overalls and the stray purple petals in her hair revealed that she's been outside for multiple hours already. Are you trying to plant the flowers or kill them? I teased. She moved her head slightly, but didn't make eye contact. Instead, the clipping noises increased. We need more protection, and these hair hyssopists are going to give us that, she grunted. Her actions spoke louder than words, and I didn't press further. She's been this way since we received the news about my father. A deep-seated hatred replaced her former cherry attitude. I tried many ways to find things to make her happy, but even with all my efforts, I couldn't remove the heartbreak of losing a mate. I smiled sadly before leaving for town. Our new house sat on the outskirts of town. Our closest neighbors were wild deer and foxes that lived in the nearby forests. The drive to my bakery was peaceful and filled with views of nature. It was the beginning of summer and the trees were in full blossom. I lowered the windows of the car to smell the sweet scent of dewed grass and pine as I passed by rows of farmland. The town itself was small with only a few people walking between shops. There was only one grocery store that was owned by an older couple and the rest of the businesses were small mom and pop shops. All the buildings looked like they have seen better days with a few of the brick walls fading in color. My bakery was in the middle of town in between the only bookshop and a small clothing boutique. It was small, but it was my own. I was finally able to afford my first shop after working double shifts and the help of my dad's savings. I knew using the money to buy a bakery was what he would have wanted. We would sit for hours imagining the grand opening of my bakery in France with the whole world watching. He used to say that my bonnets could create world peace. I never believed him. I pulled into the parking spot in front of my shop and headed towards the doors. However, 
A sign caught my attention out of the corner of my eye. Sale. I pivoted on my heel and made a beeline to the bookstore next door. There are only two things in life I can't resist. A great blueberry cobbler and a sale. I walked inside and took in my surroundings. The room was filled with mahogany furniture and vibrant green plants. The sweet smell of freshly printed books were paired with the aroma of burning incense. At the front desk sat a small older man. His long gray hair was elegantly twisted into a long braid down his back. His high cheekbones highlighted the wrinkles that danced gracefully across his face. He looked up from the worn book he was reading when he noticed he had a customer. Welcome to Barnett's bookstore. He widened his eyes slightly. Oh, you are the young girl that moved into Tim's old shop. I smiled and nodded. Yes, I'm sorry I didn't introduce myself sooner. My family and I just moved here, so we've been busy unpacking and getting ourselves situated. My name is Amara Freeman. He shook my hand. Pleased to make your acquaintance, Miss Freeman. I'm Louis Burnett. It's not every day we get new neighbors in Mohegan. You know this town is quite small. A mischievous glimmer shone in his eyes. I laughed awkwardly, not enjoying the sudden shift in energy. Well, my family wanted to start fresh. What better way than to go to a town where no one knows you? I grabbed the closest book next to me, trying to find a way to escape the conversation. How much is this book? Oh, this one? He grabbed the book off the table and flipped to the inside cover. I'll give it to you on the house. It's a great book for newcomers. Oh, what is it about? It tells the oranges of the town. He shifted in his seat, barely containing his excitement to tell the story. A small group of Native American miners moved to Montana and founded Mohegan during the late 1800s. They named it Mohegan after the wolves that lived in the forest. However, no one ever saw these creatures during the day. Depending on who you ask, some people believe that the animals would shift into humans during the day and live out the night as wolves. I swallowed nervously, feeling the air thicken. Well, that is just ridiculous. People can change into animals. He smiled, placing the book into a bag. There is a lot of ridiculous and unimaginable things that people believe in. Jesus walking on water and a man on the moon. Would people turning into wolves be something so extraordinary? All right, jumping right into the review portion of it. Um, before I begin, I would just like to reiterate um, again, like I've done in several other episodes. Um, my first language is English, but I am from the Caribbean, so I have um, a dialect and an accent. And I try my best to speak in English or um, proper English while I read uh, the ch first chapter to you guys. Um, and sometimes I stumble because I would say a word differently than, you know, people who speak fluent English would say it. So forgive me and bear with me sometimes because, you know, my dialect's a bit different and my I might sound different and I might switch up my dialect sometimes when I read it. And, you know, sometimes I may sound like this and whatever, but... And then sometimes I may just switch and speak in English, but, you know, I'm just asking for leniency with that. All right, so getting into the review portion of it, the prologue definitely caught my attention. And that's how you get readers to continue. I love the imagery here. Let me just read that. Read the 
um, beginning of chapter one. Oh, sorry, not beginning of chapter one, the beginning of the prologue. That was what really drug me in. The first sentence said, sentence says, deep within the Louisiana bayou sat a degraded cabin. And that alone, literally, the first story in a book can definitely make or break a reader's attention or their curiosity in a book. So that right there caught um, my attention and it kept it and it really urged me to read on. So kudos to the author. Um, and just a little input here. The author said the candlelight warmly lit their black skin. So are the character's skin actually black? Like the color of someone's shoes, black? Or are you making the inference that they are black people? Because I know we are called black people, but we are brown skin, you know. We, and I, yes, we all refer to ourselves as black people, but we aren't actually black. We aren't actually the color black. We're brown skinned people. So, you know, no one's actually black. So, you know, just be mindful of that. Um, but I understood what the author was saying when she said um, his black skin. Um, it just really, um, not rubbed me the wrong way, but, um, when you're telling a story, you need to be very mindful of that. Is his skin actually black? You know, cause if it's a fiction story, then his skin can actually be, sorry, actually be the color of, you know, the road or some shoes black, or is he a black person? Then you know, okay, his skin is brown. So that was just, you know, my little input there to be mindful of. The diction is absolutely beautiful. I loved reading each and every word of this book. And um, sometimes when readers see that a book only has a couple hundred reads, they're like, oh, it's not that good, oh, blah, blah, blah. But no, it this book and many others that many hidden gems that I've read are absolutely amazing. And like I always say, this is the point of this podcast is for you guys to find hidden gems not just the books with millions of reads, you know. Those books are nice, but there are so many books out there that have yet to be discovered. And the purpose of this podcast is for those books to find an audience or for an audience to find that book because I have found many, many great books. When people ask me to review their work, I've found many amazing reads that has about 300 reads. Many, And it's like... You deserve more than that. You deserve so much more uh, reads than 300. So this um, podcast here is the point of that. Um, And if you ever find a book through this podcast, comment on that book and let them know where you're here from so they can understand that, oh, hey, so that episode really is getting me uh, reads and it is getting me um, traffic, quote unquote, to, you know, their work. So let them know, comment and say, I'm here from what pad reads by Roxanne, let them know. And maybe they can refer another author friend here and another great book will get reviewed and get found by you. It's all, that's just how it works. It's all a domino effect. All right. So I love that she's a business owner. I love when women own their own businesses and they're doing the thing and they don't rely on a man not that it's wrong I just really love and appreciate when a woman especially gets her own I love that um I love the mystery in chapter two 
when Brenda tried to take away the Niji blood from her baby. And listen to me. Guys, please go and read this book. And when you get to chapter two, message me and we can talk about it. Because that whole scene when she was describing the baby and what it came out looking like because she tried to take away the Niji blood from her unborn baby because she didn't want um, the white claw to smell smell it out. Oh my gosh, guys. That scene alone, was I was intrigued. Please go and read the book. It only has um, nine chapters right now. It's an ongoing book. And let me tell you, I will be reading every inch of it. So I cannot wait until the author... Um, uploads a new chapter. Please go and check that out. Um, I sense creatures of, sorry, not creatures. I sense centuries of pain and heartache shared by the tribe. Um, I love how the author, um, she incorporates it in the book. She doesn't just say, oh, they were hurt many years by this one tribe. No, she, she tells a story. She tells about how mothers would tell their children of these fables and and uh, these tales of what happened. She doesn't just simply put it out there. She tells me through showing other characters emotions and I would come up with that um conclusion on my own and I love how the author does that. Um and I just love I it's not necessarily a racial book. I just love the contrasts of the characters and of the packs. I love the contrast of it. Um, and I automatically loved Bly. Her character seems amazing already. Like I said, guys, if you have not gotten past chapter one, speed it up because there's some interesting, juicy stuff going to happen after you finish chapter one. I read all the chapters in a day. And like, I, like, listen, I don't want to give away too much. All I'm saying is go ahead and read it. The only thing I would say needed a bit improvement is the chapters. I want them longer. The chapters, they were nice length. They were they were a good length. But I would not be mad if they were a little bit longer. Just, just because I honestly and truly enjoyed reading every inch of this story so far. I'm excited to see where the relationship between Hewitt and Amara goes. And Bly, she's very um, interesting to me. I am excited to see where all of this goes. And I love the cliffhanger at the end. If I won't say anything about it. I want you guys to go out and read that book. You're, you are not going to regret it. You're going to enjoy it. And if I have to rate this book, I would definitely give it a 10 out of 10. Hands down, 10 out of 10. Go ahead and read it. Howls and Hexes on Woodpad by Ibasa, I-B-A-S-S-A. If you haven't already, it is a good, great book, a great story. And while you're there, tell her who sent you, Roxanne from What Pad Reads.